in 1 Peter chapter 4 this morning. 1 Peter chapter 4, and uh, we're going to be down in verse number 7 through 11 this morning. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verses number 7 through 11, and uh, we're talking about living in the last days, living in the last days. And... Uh, Peter's writing to, to the church, and uh, uh, he's talking to people who are scattered, uh, running for their lives, living in the last days. Persecution is intense, and, uh, and so he's writing how to make the, mo- the most of the moments that you're living in, how to make the most of the last days, and uh, God help us. You know, I, I, several years ago, uh, Bonnie and I had the privilege to be in Malone, Florida, <clears throat> and uh, it's a big town, the metropolis of Malone, and uh, uh, they have a K through 12 school. And Malone is one of those places you just—they're known for their basketball. Uh, <clears throat> they would give Grand Ridge a run for their money back there, Durden. But uh, anyways, they—they uh, uh, they, they, were—they were known for basketball. But they had this little gym, tiny little gym, and it was always uh, my first time, my first experience there. I'll never forget it uh, because it kind of scared the heebie-jeebies out of me because they were in this little tight gym, and at the two-minute mark, the coach would stand up. And he had a booming voice, this guy, and uh, and they, and they would win. But but at the two minute mark, he would he would always stand up and clench his fist, and he would just start hollering at the top of his lung, press, 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 you know. And it filled the gym, scared me. And uh, and and all of a sudden, the team would pick up the intensity level, and they would they would go into like this lockdown man to man defense, full court press, and they would go into this run and gun offense up and down the court. And it was amazing to watch just the intensity for the last two minutes. I mean, everything else puts you to sleep, but the last two minutes, you'll be awake. And uh, uh, because it, it was saying, I want you to finish strong. We're picking up the intensity, finish strong. And, and, and it's as if today's passage, Peter is saying to the church, it's time to pick up the intensity. It's time to finish strong. Make sure you finish strong. And, and, and that's where we are this morning. Church, church, we're living in the last days. Wake up, finish strong. It's time to press. First Peter chapter 4, verses 7 and following, the Bible says this, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking, but the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And uh, just talking about responsibilities of the redeemed in the last days. And he gives us several in this passage of Scripture. In fact, there's five of them that he addresses in this passage of Scripture. Number one, he says this. For responsibilities of the redeemed in the last days. Number one, he says, live expectantly. Live expectantly. Verse number seven says, we're here in these last days. The end of all things is at hand. The end of all things is at hand. And he's not talking about the termination or cessation, but rather the fulfillment, uh, 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 the consummation of all things. He's talking about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when you're talking about the first century believers,
believers. When you're talking about Peter, the rest of the apostles, and all of them in the first century, they lived life with an expectancy that today could be the day I see Jesus again. Today could be the day that he returns. And, and, and we call that the imminent view of the return of Christ. The imminent view of the return of Christ. It means this, that he could come at any moment. He's on his way. Imagine what they had experienced. They had been walking with Jesus Christ. They saw his life. They saw his miracles. They saw the crucifixion. They saw him raised from the dead. And then they saw him ascend. In fact, the Bible says over in Acts in chapter number 1 and in verse number 11. Acts chapter 1, verse number 11, the Bible says, They also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go to heaven. And so here they are. They're saying, good night. It's going to come. It's going to happen one of these days. We're looking forward to his return. And, uh, and, and so every day was met with that kind of, of, of thought process. And when you're looking at this passage of Scripture, this verse right here, in fact, this phrase right here in verse number 7 serves as the motivation for the rest. It's the motivation behind the rest. In other words, I want to be ready. Why? Because the end is at hand. He's coming again. I want to be ready when I see him. When you're talking about the end of all things, because uh, when you're talking about the end of all things, throughout the New Testament, we find that, 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 that this is a reference made to uh, the days between Pentecost and the rapture of the church. When you're looking at the end of all things, the last days, that is the days in which you and I are living. The Bible says in several different places, Acts chapter number 2 and in verse number 17, Acts chapter 2 and in verse number 17, and it shall be... In the last days, God says, that I will pour forth my spirit on all mankind, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 10, and in verse number 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and verse number 11, now these happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Philippians chapter number 4, verse number 5. Philippians 4, and in verse number 5. Let your gentle spirit be made known to all men. The Lord is near. They live life with an anticipation and an expectation of the return of Jesus Christ. 1 John chapter 2, verse number 18. 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. Children, it is the last hour, and just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. Uh, from this we know that it is the last hour. It's late. It's the last hour. He's coming again. In fact, the Apostle Paul describes the characteristic marking the last days in, 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 in the book of Timothy. Over in Timothy, he describes it, 2 Timothy chapter number 3, verses 1 through 5. And I want you to pay attention right here. Listen to the description of the last days. The description of the last days. What's it going to look like? What's happening in the world during the last days? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. The Bible says this. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, <clears throat> lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, 
lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these. He's just simply describing these last days. He's describing the last days. You know, some people might look at these texts of Scripture and talk about the last days and and, and ask the question. In fact, I've had it specifically asked of me. Brother Brian, Brother Brian. I had a little girl. She said, Brother Brian, Brother Brian. She didn't talk like that. But anyways, she said, it's been like 2,000 years. Do you really think it's going to happen And I would say absolutely positively it's going to happen one of these days. It just simply means it's late. It's really late. In fact, it's kind of like the farmer. This farmer was living out there on the farm. He had a grandfather clock. And one night, the grandfather clock just kind of got stuck, and it rang 20 times. And and after 20 times, it was gonging in there in the kitchen. He jumped up. He said, Nellie, Nellie, you better get up. It's later than it's ever been. And uh, and, and, and that's how it is today. It's later than it's ever been. Does anybody know the hour of the day? Absolutely, none of us know the hour of the day. Only the Father knows that. But we do know this. It's later than it's ever been, and he is coming again. We're living in the last days. So be ready. Be ready. In fact, the Bible says it's going to happen like a thief in the night. Over in the book of Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul is talking, and the Apostle Paul says, man, in the heaven of heavens, there's going to be a shout and the voice of the archangel, and then there's going to be a trumpet, and, and in the twinkling of an eye, just, just like that. There's going to be the rapture. And it could happen. What Peter is simply saying, what the New Testament is teaching us today, is it could happen at any moment. You say, it's been 2,000 years. Well, yeah, but Peter says this. Peter says, with God, a 1,000 years is as a day, and a day is as a 1,000 years. So really, when you're talking about how long has it been? A couple days. A couple days. I mean, we don't know how long it's been. Although we do know this, it's going to happen We're living in the last days. Pick up the intensity. Be ready. Be ready for that day. We will see him face to face. What a day that's going to be. To live life expectantly. But then he goes on, verse number seven. He says, not only living it expectantly, live it prayerfully. Live it prayerfully. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Sound judgment and, uh, and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. And when you're talking about sound judgment, it just simply means this, to be serious-minded, to be serious-minded. In other words, don't allow your thoughts to get carried away by these eschatological conversations. And so when you're talking, <laughs> what does all that mean? To be serious-minded, to be sober-minded, to not allow my thoughts to run wild uh, when, it ta- when we're talking about these subjects. It's sim- it's, it's, in fact, it's the only other time this is this phrase right here is used in the New Testament is when, do you remember the dude that was, that, that, that was demon-possessed by legion? And, 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 and he was delivered. He was delivered from the demons, and the demons hopped into all the swine, and the swine ran down the hill, and they jumped into the lake, deviled hams. They ran into the lake, and they all died over there in the lake. And he talked about them, and he said, hey, sober-minded, clear-minded, think straight, think straight. And so when you're talking about the end times, he's saying, hey, be sober-minded for the purpose of prayer, so that I know how to pray. The apostles themselves, remember the apostles? The only question they ever asked Jesus Christ as far as what to teach us, to teach us. They didn't say, teach us how to preach. Teach us how to, they said, teach us how to pray. Teach us how to pray. How do you know how to pray? And, and that's what Peter's saying, saying, hey, make sure that you're clear-minded for the purpose of prayer, sober-minded for the purpose of prayer, to be in one's 
right mind. Don't, don't get carried away with these, these thoughts of the end time events. Don't allow your minds to get carried away. In fact, when you're looking at <clears throat> us as people, uh, we are a people that are just kind of fascinated by several subjects, one of them being the return of Christ. In fact, 60 million copies of Left Behind series books have been sold. Why is that? Because we're fascinated. We want to know. But we have to be careful not to allow extra-biblical writers to uh, shape your thoughts on eschatology, on, on, on why it's going to happen, how it's going to happen. The fact of the matter is, when you're looking at Scripture, it's included in Scripture for purpose, so that you're ready for when it happens. Not so that you can have it all figured out, but that you're ready. That The fact of the matter is, you're living in a world that looks like it's unraveling. It looks like, where's God in all this mess? To which I would say, he's seated on a throne and he has it all under control. In his time and in his way, it will come to an end. And so he's king of kings and lord of lords. And so I'm good with that. I'm thankful to God for that. But be careful that we don't get carried away. And when you're talking about, again, eschatology, these, these last time events, be careful because it's not written so that we can sit around and have theological debates. But rather to say, be ready. Be ready. And, and in this particular passage, he says, be ready for the purpose of prayer so that you know how to pray. Think about my prayer life. Think about the opportunity that we have to have the ear of omnipotence. Prayer. And think about what we pray for and how we pray. And there's nothing wrong with praying temporary prayers. What I mean is praying for a broken leg, for praying for a broken arm, for praying for those physical things that are needed. There's nothing wrong with praying those things. I'm grateful to God that we have a God that cares about the big and the small because at the end of the day, is there anything really big for him? I mean, we have the privilege to be able to pray, but, he's, but, 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 but when you think about the prayers that we pray, how much of them are of eternal consequence? I mean, how much of them are saying, in light of eternity, I will pray in this way? How fervent are we in our prayer life, knowing that today could be the last day? If that be true, if we really believe in light of all eternity that today could be the last day, then why aren't we fervently praying for souls to be saved? Why aren't we praying for one another spiritually? That man, they would, they would engage their spiritual gifts in such a way that it would bring honor and glory to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Why aren't we praying in spiritual ways? That's what Peter's saying. He's saying, hey, be sober-minded. Understand the end is near. One of these days, you will give an account. You're standing before him. And all of us, it's going to come to an end. Pray in such a way that it brings honor and glory to God Almighty, make the most of these days, praying for salvation, praying for fruit, praying for mission opportunities, for missionaries, for church planners, praying for those things, that God open the doors of opportunity, that God breathe his Holy Spirit into lives to give life where there is no life. God, we need you. So he says, live prayerfully, clear-minded, sober-minded. <clears throat> In verse number 7, and he goes on from there. He says, therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Verse number eight, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sin. Keep fervent. Uh, it's, it's, describing, it, it's describing a horse running at full speed, uh, uh, ex, 
exerting every ounce of energy that he possibly has. He says love in that kind of way. When you're talking about love, I mean love, it is, it is the most, it's the badge of the believer. That's what love is. In fact, when you're talking about what is love, the Bible says God is love. Our Father is love. When people experience God's children, they don't experience love. In light of the last days, in light of the times in which you're living, make sure you're loving with everything you've got, exerting every ounce of energy so that you can extend love to others along the way. God help us. Love is not a sentimental emotion. Uh, you know, when you're talking about what is love, it's, it's not just a feeling. Well, I feel like loving or I don't feel like loving. It's not. It's a decision. It's a commitment of the will. That's what love is. In fact, when you're talking about love, it's not dependent. When you're talking about love, love is not dependent on the responses, on the actions or the reactions of the one to whom love needs to be extended. It's not whether they deserve it or not. Aren't you glad that God didn't say, well, whether they deserve it or not? <laughs> In fact, Romans Romans 5.8, God demonstrated his great love for me. God demonstrated his great love for you. And that while you were still a sinner and I was still a sinner, he died on a cross demonstrating his great love for me. He says, you love in that kind of way. And love fervently because love will cover a multitude of sins. God helped me to love. In fact, the Bible says over in John 13 and John Chapter number 13 and verses number 34 and 35 says this. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I mean, when you're talking about the love that we're to have towards one another... Hey, we, we, we need to pay attention and seriously ask God to examine my heart this morning. Do I sincerely have a love for the brethren? Do I? What, what does it look like? Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians 13. It's not on the overhead, but let me just read it to you. It says in 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind. It's not jealous, does not brag, is not arrogant does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, it's not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things and believes all things, hopes all things and endures all things. Love never fails. God, help me to love others with the love of God. And he's not talking about lip service love. You know what lip service love is? Lip service love is this. I know that the Bible says I'm to love. And then we, we, we get like spiritual in our language and, and, and we'll make a statement like, well, I love them in the Lord, but bless them. <laughs> you know what bless them means? You know what that means. It means I really don't give a rip about them, but I want to feel good about myself. And what he's saying is, hey, listen, you need to love intensely. Exert every ounce of energy that you possibly have to express your love for others. And he says, love covers a multitude of sin. Love covers a multitude of sins. And when you're talking about, covering, to cover sin is not to condone sin. 
To cover sin is not to condone sin. What does it mean to cover sin? Here's what it looks like. In Scripture, back in the book of Genesis, Noah's days. Remember Noah's days? Uh, Noah, after the flood, he went out and got drunk. The Bible says he went out and got drunk. And and he got naked when he got drunk. And he had those boys, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And Ham went out there and looked at his daddy. And he was out there drunk and naked. And so he, rather than covering up his father, he ran and said, Hey, y'all won't believe it. Y'all won't believe it. And he thought it would be so funny to look at the shame of a father in his sin. And he was cursed because of it. Where the other two boys, the other two boys wouldn't even go where their father was forward, but they went in backwards and they covered him up. Love covers a multitude of sin. It doesn't condone it, but it covers sin. So the question you have to ask, do I love? How do, how do I know whether I love or not? When you're talking about sin, well, am I, am I, do, does, do I find pleasure uncovering the sin of others? Or do I find pleasure in covering the sin of others? What brings me pleasure? Do I love? Do I love? Love covers a multitude of sins. And when you're talking about condoning sin, love doesn't condone, but just because, hey, just because love doesn't condone sin, love does confront sin. When you're talking about sinful relationships, especially among the brethren, it doesn't condone it, but it will confront sin. What does that look like? It means this, that when my brother or sister is sinning, that when my brother and sister is sinning, I'm not going to talk about them, but I'm going to go talk to them. That's what it means. Do I love them enough? Do I love them enough to talk to them? James, James talks about it. James chapter number 5 and verse number 19. James chapter 5 and verse number 19 and 20. The Bible says it like this. My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back. How did he turn him back? He confronted him. Let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. And so when we're talking about love, loving, it's saying, hey, love them enough, love them enough to cover a multitude of sins. And the only way you can do that is through confrontation. Some people say, I mean, that's just judging one another. To which I would say, well, 1 Corinthians 5, read the whole chapter. Uh, as brothers and sisters, we need to have a heart for one another. And recognize that sin will destroy. Recognize that sin will mess up lives. And love them enough to say, hey, look, man, we got an issue here. I mean, think about this. Think about the, the seriousness of the, of the argument that we're talking about. <clears throat> if you were to go out uh, on, on a camping expedition, and, and we're all out there camping, and, and you watch, and all of a sudden, over here in, in, in Ray's tent, I'm watching one night, <clears throat> and I see a, a water moccasin go slithering up into his tent. What does that mean? That means he's in danger. Would it be loving to say, man, I don't want to wake him up. <laughs> let's, let's just watch what happens. <laughs> no. You know, the loving thing would be say, hey, man, there's a, there's a snake in your tent. You're in danger. Why would you go? Because you're in danger. And the same's true when we, when we have brothers and sisters. Man, when there's sin in the camp, God, help us understand the seriousness of that. 
and love people enough. Love covers a multitude of sins. He says, love intensely, especially during the last days. Especially during the last days. Why? Because when you're reading through Scripture, you know what you find that marks the last days? They will be days of lawlessness. Days of lawlessness. That's what marks one of the characteristics of the last days are days of lawlessness. And you know what happens during days of lawlessness? Lovelessness sets into the hearts of people. Our hearts grow cold. Because people are acting the fool and they're proud of it. And so we develop calluses. And so he says, man, especially during these last days. Over in Matthew, in the book of Matthew chapter 24 and in verse number 12. Matthew chapter 24 and in verse number 12. uh, The Bible says it like this. Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. And that verse of scripture finds itself right in the midst of talking about the characteristics of the last days. And so he says, hey, live lovingly. Love people. Love them enough to talk to them. Love them enough to pray for them. Love people. The world needs to know love. God, help us to love. Somebody ever comes to this church, I pray to God. They might miss out on a lot of stuff, but they wouldn't miss out on love. God, help us to love people like we are loved. He says, make sure you're living lovingly. Because the end of all things is near and love covers a multitude of sins. Verse number nine, he goes on. He says, Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Live hospitably. <clears throat> you know, when we are talking about the first century church, and when we're talking about the church in the midst of great persecution, there's a high cost to living life in the midst of great persecution. I mean, people were losing their livelihood. People were losing their homes. Families were being destroyed. Imagine the mom and dad are gone. The father's no longer apart. Where are you going to live? Where are you going to go? It's not the government's job. It's the church's job to live hospitably. What does that mean? That means everything I've got is a gift from God to be used for his glory. And if that means that I need to take you in, I will take you in. Everything I've got is to be used for the glory of God, to be hospitable to others. I mean, it's even more than just throwing a party. You know, a lot of times t- today, especially in our culture, when we talk about being hospitable, but that just means you're going to throw a party at your house. Oh, it's bigger than that. It's bigger than that. Although sometimes when we do throw our parties, we do it with grumbling. <laughs> I-, I heard a story about a party that was thrown at a house, and they asked their little child, hey, <clears throat> can you pray before we have dinner tonight? Can you pray? All these people are here and want you to pray. And, and uh, well, I don't know how to pray. I don't know how to pray. And dad said, just pray what you hear us talking about. And he said, dear God, why did we invite all these people over here? <laughs> God, help me. He says, be hospitable, recognizing there are going to be people along the way with needs. And, and, and it's not just, this isn't just For one day, it's for two day. That means God's given me everything I've got. It's it's, it's about a stewardship. It's about recognizing that, man, I don't own anything. God entrusted it to me to be used for his glory and for the good of all. So be hospitable. 
and do it without grumbling. In other words, the attitude with which we do what we do does matter to God. God help me along the way. I, I was reading this week. Uh, I'm shifting right now outside of where we are. I was reading this week uh, from Acts, the book of Acts, and uh, reading about the martyr, Stephen, first Christian martyr. And, uh, and, and at the very end of the chapter, says that when he was about to breathe his last breath, he says, God, don't hold this sin against them. Don't hold this sin against them. To live life with the spirit of forgiveness. <clears throat> God, help us to forgive. Help our hearts to be right before you in all matters, in all matters. Do you know what, what happens when we live life with the spirit of forgiveness? Why am I going here? I'm not saying that we have to forgive people for coming to our house and hospitable. This has got nothing to do with hospitality. This has just got everything to do with forgiving. But it's important to forgive. God, help us to live life with the spirit of forgiveness. Do you know, do you know how, how strong of an influence it is when you, or, or, or how, how, how great the tool of forgiveness is in the hands of God? I mean, I, I believe that the reason why Saul's name is included in the script, why would they even include Saul's name in the script when Stephen was being stoned? I believe it's because the stoning of Stephen and the forgiveness that he saw expressed from this person overwhelmed him. It was a tool in the hands of God. In light of last days, imagine this this morning. Imagine this this morning. If Jesus Christ calls you home today, maybe he comes back today. Am I harboring any bitterness, anger, unforgiveness towards others? God help me to live life in life of eternity. <clears throat> live hospitably. Forgiveness doesn't have anything to do with that, but it's important. Verse 10 and 11, the Bible says this, <clears throat> to live faithfully, to live faithfully along the way. Verse 10 and 11, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so uh, as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. So that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To whom belongs the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. To live faithfully this morning. And what's he, it's interesting because where he goes with this. <clears throat> he basically lumps all the spiritual gifts into two major categories. He says there's speaking gifts and there's serving gifts. Speaking gifts, whether you're a speaker or whether you're a server, whichever one you do, do it all to the glory of God Almighty. <clears throat> he says make sure you do what you do to the glory of God Almighty. Everybody in this building today that's been saved by God, if you're saved by God this morning, do you understand that you have been gifted by God? That God gifted you, God equipped you and gifted you uniquely. There's nobody else like you. And he says, I want to employ you, I want to use you to bring glory to my name, to be able to build the body. Why the purpose for spiritual gifts? To build the body. That's why the purpose for spiritual gifts. I want to use you to build the body along the way. And he gifts us. And so God help us to do what we do 
uh, for his glory. He says, if you got the gift of speaking, preachers, in other words, in the last days especially, in light of the fact that we're living in the last days, make sure that you're speaking as if God Almighty is speaking. How do you do that? You preach biblically. You speak biblically. That's how you do that. Why? Because in the last days, look at the characteristics from Scripture of the last days. Do you know how the Bible describes the last days? The last days are going to be marked with people that don't want to hear Scripture. You know what they're going to do? They're going to accumulate teachers for themselves that are going to come, and they're going to scratch their itches. They're going to pat them on the back, and they're going to tickle their ears along the way. Therefore, there's desperate need for you to speak the oracles of God. And so we're living in a day. We're living in a day where there's a famine. There's a famine of biblical preaching. What's happening in our world? Here's, here's what's happening in our world. Uh, words. We're, we're, not, we're, we don't, we're not speaking. We're not preaching any longer exegetical sermons. What's an exegetical sermon? That just simply means this, that the, that the Bible passage itself determines the message. The Bible passage itself determines the message. Therefore, the message comes out of, exegetical, it comes out of the text of Scripture. That's what we want. But then there's also what's called eisegetical preaching. What's eisegetical preaching? That means I'm putting a message into Scripture. That means I'm selecting a topic and propping it up with different verses from around Scripture because i got a message that you need to hear. And at the end of the day, I don't have a message you need to hear. I'm here to say, man, God has a message to deliver to us. And the only way we're going to get it is if we open the Bible and say, thus says the Lord. And let the book give us the topic of conversation. It's not for mine to choose. And so in the last days, he says, make sure that we have preachers that are going to preach the word of God. We have servers that are going to serve in the strength of the Lord God Almighty. Why is that? Because sometimes I don't feel like doing it. But it takes all of us to build the body. I mean, he wants us all to build the body so that we're ready for his appearing. You know, it takes all of us to build the body. A lot of times what we do is we say, man, well, they're on the platform or whatever. I don't care about the platform because you know why? If people aren't loved on before they even get here, they don't give a rip about what happens on the platform. If they sit down beside you, if, if somebody comes and sits down in your little section and they're ignored and given the cold shoulder, and it's just like, man, let me look at them. I wonder where those people are coming from. Look at how they're dressed today. Hmm. <laughs> and they're not experiencing love. You know what happens? Walls start to go up. And they don't hear. It takes all of us. All the time. And it's not just what happens inside these walls. It's what happens all the time. I mean, if I'm a professing believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm a light that's set on the side of a hill. Can't be hidden. What do you mean, set on the side of a hill? It means people are going to look. They're going to watch. What's a Christian supposed to be like? And for a lot of people, they don't set foot in the door of the church because of what the church is doing outside the doors of the church. God help us to be faithful along the way, especially in the last days. But help us to employ our gifts in such a way that God is glorified. Do you realize that you are uniquely gifted? I believe this is on my heart. That when you're talking about a church, God Almighty builds the church. 
God Almighty. Yeah, a lot of times we look and, 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 and we want to know, especially in, in the absence of a preacher, absence of a pastor, we, we pray, man, God, send the right man here. Send the right man here. And, and, and then we want to know, did God call you to this place? And that is important, to which I would say, yeah, absolutely, we need to know that. But not just about the preacher, about you too. I, I believe God calls all of us to a place. I believe God gifts you uniquely and equips you uniquely. There's great diversity in the body, but yet we come united as children of God Almighty. God help us to use what's been entrusted to us as a great and faithful steward so that I'm ready for his appearing one of these days. I want to be ready for that day. Let me ask you a question. When you're talking about living faithfully, using what I've got for the glory of God, just a question. If every believer employed their spiritual gifts to the extent that you employ yours, where would the church be today? I mean, fact of the matter is, a lot of times you have people that are professing believers that don't even show up. And, and, and we're living in weird days. But can I just say that the church was not intended to be lived out in your living room? Uh, we live at 24-7. But what I'm saying is the church needs to gather together for the purpose of employing gifts, encouraging one another, and being encouraged along the way. I am so thankful to God for a family, for brothers and sisters loving me, taking care of me, giving me the opportunity to take care of you along the way. God, help us to be faithful in these last days. Help us to be faithful in these last days. It starts with a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. How can I be ready for his return? Are you saved? Have you been born again? That's where it begins. Hey, if you've never called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm not talking about being religious. In fact, if you're not saved, there's some people that serve and they're not even saved. And I would say if you're serving and you're not saved, you're not ready. you got to start with salvation. And so if you've never called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved, number one. Number two, am I living life expectantly? Am I faithful? Am I hospitable? Am I loving? Am I prayerful? God, help us to be ready for his return. Would you do me a favor and join me for a time of prayer this morning? And as we pray, I'm going to invite our deacons to come down forward. We're going to have a time of the Lord's Supper this morning. And so as we pray today, I want to encourage you during this prayer time to ask God, invite him to search your heart this morning. We're going to be partaking of the Lord's Supper. And what it is, it's a time to reflect. It's a time to remember what Jesus Christ has done for us and our salvation. And rejoice. But it's also a time to anticipate and look forward until that day comes that we see him face to face. We will remember. And so the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that as we partake of the Lord's Supper, let each one examine his own heart. 
And so right now, I'm just asking during this time of prayer, if you'd invite the Holy Spirit of God to search my heart. God, am I harboring anything in my life that's not pleasing to you? And if I am, oh, God, I want to get that right. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this time together. And God, I pray that you would examine our hearts. I thank you that you are in control of all things. I thank you, God, that one of these days you're coming again. And until that day comes, I pray that you find us faithful. Thank you for this time. God, search our hearts. Search our hearts. Thank you for your grace and for your mercy. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.